Hello everybody, welcome to Health Hackers episode 31. I'm Gemma Evans, journalist and presenter here in the UK. This is my series where I spotlight pioneering figures in health and wellness. And my guest today is ski champion Shermi Alcott, who has been described as one of Britain's greatest ever female skiers. There is a lot to say about Shemi and I want to get this right. She's competed in four Winter Olympics, took the British ski champion title seven times, is the only British female to ever win a World Cup skiing run. Since retiring from professional competitions after the Sochi Olympics in 2014, Shemi hasn't stopped challenging herself. She competed in the world's toughest ski race in Greenland, cycled in a 100 mile road race in London. She climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, raising over 800,000 pounds for charity in the process. And on top of all of that, she's become a mum of two. <laughs> That's a sigh of relief from Shemi. And for the next half an hour, we are going to be discussing the transition from athlete to mother and why Shemi wants other mums to believe in themselves a whole lot more. Shemi, thank you for having me here at your lovely home. No, no worries, thank you for coming. Um, we've covered so much there already. You, I know, you, it sounds how, exhausting. How have you packed all this into your life already? I, I think I'm very much a day-to-day -day person, so I never look too much into the future. So I'm like, what can I do today that's fun and challenging for me? So it ends up being quite a lot of things. Throughout your competitive career, did you always know you wanted to become a mum? I mean, it was always my dream to find a husband and have babies, um, but I very much focus on being an athlete. So every day it was like, what can I do today to make me a better ski racer? That was my sole focus. And actually it's a really selfish existence being an athlete because it's all about you. And, and I was in that bubble of, I'm going to be the best that I can be at ski racing. And then when I retired, actually my retirement was taken out of my hands. I wanted to keep going after Sochi Olympics for one more. Um, and I went to a World Cup and I crashed after the Olympics and I saw my surgeon. He said, look, I let you race the Olympics with your leg and this metal work you've got in there. But I can tell you, if you crash at those speeds now, I will have to amputate your leg because that metal will shatter. And you don't, I don't weight bear through bone anymore. I've got this 15 inch metal nail down the bone marrow of my right leg. Because you've had 49 bone breaks. Yeah, so right? I, I mean, a few of them were at the same time when I shattered my bone. But that's me as a person. I don't want to put off people looking to become ski racers because I, I'm hell for leather. I charge at everything. And a few of them were not even skiing, they were mountain biking and other sports that I was into when I was younger. But yes, I've, I've had a lot of accidents and injuries, but I'm proud of every single one because I, I really kind of vow for people going out there and pushing themselves out of their comfort zones. You do that in ski racing when you're going 80, 90 miles an hour, the, the effect will be that you have a crash. If you cross that really thin line, you're going to have an injury. And so every one of those injuries was me pushing myself harder than I should have, but it's satisfying that way because I knew I was living my love to the max. So going back to the kind of planning yeah. of becoming a mum, is yes. that an added pressure for a female athlete? Um, for me, it was an amazing thing that it was able to happen and help me transition into retirement because I knew as soon as I became a mum, I couldn't come back to being a ski racer. And I needed that because ski racing is, is my passion. It's in my heart. And without becoming a mum, I'd always think, should I still be doing it? Should I still be in that start gate? Can I still physically, mentally be there? So I knew as soon as I changed my role in life to becoming a mother, 
I had changed that responsibility. Instead of it all being about me, instead of this selfish existence, it was about making an amazing, happy, young boy. And, and, and I found it really, really great. And I was lucky to be able to do that. And I think a lot of female athletes, when they retire, they're searching for an identity. You know, you spend your whole life trying to be the best you can be. I was Shemi the ski racer. So to then go, oh my God, who am I now? I've retired, who am I now? It's really tough mentally to, to find that identity. So to become a mother does help because you're someone else automatically straight away. So talk to me about the pregnancy because there you are with this, you've had this career which relies on you being heavily physically active yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you're pregnant and I'm assuming you've got to wind down some of that activity. Was that mentally a shock or, or difficult to manage? Um, I think there's a lot of stigma about physical training in pregnancy and as an athlete the one thing I knew more was my awareness of my body, what it could and couldn't do, especially one who'd been through injury. So I kept training. I, I lessened the weights I was lifting, I lessened the intensity I was skiing at, but I kept doing what I was good at and I knew my body could handle. And I think that the endorphins there helped me have a really fun and exciting pregnancy because a lot of women, you know, you lose control of your body. And, and, and I'm a control freak. Every day I worked in the gym for a gain, for a goal. And then it's like, okay, I'm handing my body over to, to a bigger picture to, to create a human being. But at the same time, I'm still inside. I still need those endorphins. So I kept training. And I think the first time, in hindsight, I trained too hard. When I went into labor, um, my abs were so strong that during the contractions, they, they squeezed so hard that Lockie's heart rate dropped each time and it was quite dangerous. So for my second labor, I changed my training and did Pilates, so more lower level control-based work. And I found it was a much more efficient way during labor. I was in control of my muscles as opposed to them just going the whole time. Um, but I think you've got to know your body. You've got to do what you've always done, but maybe a lesser you know, volume or lesser intensity because you need those endorphins. If you become pregnant and then you suddenly go, oh my gosh, I, I can't do anything that I've done before, you lose a bit of yourself. You're gonna start feeling less confident about who you are and, and you're about to have a massive change in your life and you need to be confident. You need to trust your instincts. So I think it's very important. So would you suggest that somebody who's always been very active, um, who becomes pregnant, would be best off either talking to their doctor yes. or a professional trainer about the level of activity they should continue doing. 100%, and this has changed in the last five years. It used to be, you know, really be careful. Don't go to altitude. For me, that was a big thing. They said, don't go to altitude. All my work's at altitude. I can't not work for a whole year. Um, but and by your work, you mean you're kind of commentating and you're other commentating, presenting. My commentating, my ski coaching. I was up at the Glacier in Sasfe, that's around 3,400 meters, um, carrying gates whilst early pregnant. And I was like, I know on paper it says I shouldn't do this, but I've always done this and I know my body can handle it. But like you said, I spoke to doctors, I told them everything about me um, and they said that it was okay for me to keep doing that. But yes, you definitely need, and I think it helps to have that support of someone medically trained because you go to the gym when you're pregnant and I can't tell you the amount of times I was lifting weights and people would stare at me, not with wow, admiration, look at her, she's pregnant and she's lifting weights, but disdain and th saying that, you know, one gentleman came up to me and um, said, you shouldn't be doing that. And totally straight away, my confidence was not, I felt like everyone in the gym had been thinking this for months and he had told me it. And so I walked away and then I said, no, wait a second. I turned around and said, sorry, sorry, are you, are you a physical trainer? And he said, no, no, but 
I know, you know, everyone knows you shouldn't be doing those kind of weights when you're pregnant. And they said, you don't know me. You don't know my past. You don't know the fact that I've lifted weights for 20 years um, and my body can handle this. And then I felt angry that I was defending myself against someone who I didn't know. And so that will happen. And you've got to have the confidence to say, hang on, my body can do this. I know this. Because you know, there are things that happen in pregnancies that you can't control and disastrous things like miscarriages. And if you're thinking this miscarriage happened because I went for a run yesterday, you can never forgive yourself. But you seek medical advice and they say, you're fine to do that. And you know that you've done everything you can to help yourself and create a baby. When we first spoke, um, Shemi and I had a chat on the phone and Shemi told me, that she really wants other mums to believe in themselves. Mm. What led up to you saying that? What were your experiences? I think f f first time round, I went to back to work after 10 days and I had to. Um, I professionally having babies in January is not great planning for me, but you can never plan. I we struggled for 18 months to conceive Lockie and he came in January. And then to have Cooper again in January, I mean, amazing to have another baby but again it, it didn't come at a great time because, because my it's working it's ski season yeah my my working for ski sunday for instance is december to the end of january that's it it's such a short timeline um so after Lockie was born i a friend of mine lindsay von was breaking all these records and bbc said look are you in a place where you could go and interview and i said yes i can i can go i've got a newborn but i feel okay i've got an amazing support team around me my husband's completely co-parenting um and we flew out there and we did it and then people said this is crazy that you're working you're you should be just cuddling your baby uh, you should be thinking about yourself and the family and it really got to me and I started going, oh my gosh, I need to turn down work because I can't be seen to be working. It wasn't I didn't think I could do it, but the, the, the perception of other people that new mums shouldn't be out there working, even though I was breastfeeding, um, which was an amazing to be able to do that and juggling that. And, you know, we were spending time as a family. My, my husband took time off. It wasn't that Lockie or Cooper were going with other people. It was still, you know, completely a team effort. I still felt judged for it and I still felt that I was making decisions based on other people's perceptions. So I learned then that, you know what, you don't know me, you don't know what's best for me, I know this, I'm going to trust myself and I'm a very confident person. So if I was going through these thoughts of, of other people dictating what I was doing, then I thought, you know, other women must be and I started talking to my friends and it was so much about the social media, about what people would say, what people would do and I thought, you know what, you know what's best for you and your family. It might be that you decide to not do anything for a year and stay home, and that's amazing. But it might be that you feel like psychologically and mentally you need to keep challenging yourself and get back to work, and that's fine. Just trust yourself. And and I and, and as I kept talking, telling my story, I realised that so many people don't, and they have no self-belief in themselves as a mother. And this is people who completely succeeded in life before. You know, well, whatever whatever that was for them, they set goals and they achieved them, and they were confident in themselves. And then they become a mother. And they're like, oh gosh, I shouldn't be doing this. Or my parents didn't do this. Or my, my mother-in-law, you know, she doesn't believe I should be doing this. And it's like, trust yourself. How do we, or how should we deal with that fear of judgment? Because it, it can be really damaging. Because if you're walking around just changing your behavior because you're worried about what other people think of you, and mothers and non-mothers do it, 
what would your advice be to those kind of new mums who are in that position now? Yeah. Uh, they're feeling a bit self-conscious. They're kind of questioning whether they're doing the right things or whether they're being seen to do the right things. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the first thing I say. You shouldn't be doing the right things as a new mum. You should be making mistakes and, and, and feeling like, oh gosh, I did that wrong because that's how you learn from them. And, and that's society and everything, actually. We, we have a fear of failure. We have, oh my gosh, if you take a risk and make a mistake, then that's not great. Whereas it should be, and, and as an athlete in ski racing, I learned this very quickly. I made a mistake. Wow, what could I do to be different and learn from that? And, and, and that's why I'm out there going, I make mistakes all the time as motherhood, as a businesswoman, as a ski racer, everything. And those are the times in my life I learned. I didn't learn when I won the British or you know any accolades when I got that gold medal. You don't really learn then. You, you enjoy your success and you ride that roller coaster of happy emotions. But... Do you sit back and reflect and go, what I could have done better? No, because you're up here. It's when you're, when you're on this roller coaster and you're in your dips and you're making mistakes um, where you learn and that's what new mothers will learn. Oh, you know what? I didn't do that great yesterday. I should have changed his nappy earlier then he would have been happy. I should have done this. Even today meeting you, I made a mistake. I thought that I could handle having Cooper here. We had to start this, this again because he was snorting into the mic and that was me going, oh, I thought I was superwoman, I could handle it, but actually my baby was saying something different. So next time I would do this and you can see I don't have him strapped onto my chest. It was actually very nice because I got to meet little Cooper <laughs> and uh, have a little chat with Cooper, although it was mainly gurgling from his part. Um, and he's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, do you think that being an athlete helped you handle pregnancy and childbirth better? And I say that because I imagine, I've never been pregnant, I imagine it's quite um, alarming to see your body changing or you know, to give birth to a child. But because you were an athlete, always pushing your body to the limits, do you feel like it was less shocking to you? Actually, I'd say the other way, because I was always in control of my body and if I trained this way, my body would perform this way. And then I was completely out of control. You know, there was kicking movements. There was days where I couldn't go to the gym. I had to listen to my body. Um, someone else was taking over that. But having said that, the most confident I have ever felt physically wasn't when I had a six pack and I was in a bikini um, it, and I had all these muscles and I knew that I trained hard for that. It was when I was pregnant and, and I'd given my body over to something. Around six months pregnant, you've got this amazing bump. You can feel the kicks and the movements and you realize how amazing you are physically. Whereas when you're an athlete, you're always trying to be better. How can I be stronger? Whereas then you're just happy in the moment and physically and aesthetically, that's the most attractive I have ever felt. Now that you have children, has it changed your attitude towards risk taking? Like now, now you've got this new appreciation for the amazingness of your body. Do you think, oh, I better be careful because, you know, Got to look after this, look after number I, one. I, I'm I'd hoped now. that when I gave birth to Lockie that I would lose that kind of screw loose craziness of always trying to push myself. Um, but it hasn't gone. Um, I, I'm really lucky that I have Dougie by my side. We're quite yin and yang and I will jump into things without thinking about consequences. Whereas he goes, Shemi, do you think you should be doing this? If something happened to you now, think about this and this and this and the babies and and that I need that because I still have that mentality that I want to push myself. Um, maybe over, you know, I'm, I'm 36, 36 or 37, I don't know how old I am, but anyway, 
you know coming to my 40s my body start might start breaking down even more but I still feel like anything I want to do I could do and I don't restrict that being a mother but there are some times that I need to think about and what do you want other new mums to know and understand because they're going to be worrying about their bodies too Mm. And they may not have felt as proud as you did when, yeah, when yeah, you were no. pregnant. Oh That's my gosh. great that you did. Yeah, really good. And, you know, I have a really close friend who had a really tough pregnancy. She hated being pregnant um, and she really struggled. And it was difficult to chat to her because we had such different emotions. But that pregnancy is unique. And just because your first pregnancy is great doesn't mean your second pregnancy is great. Um, and and I, I, I don't think that there's a, a one... Um, a bit of advice for everyone that helps it. I think you have to be honest with yourself. Um, there, there are things out there. I, I had a bit of back pain and I went to a chiropractor and I found that was really, really great. Obviously, you have to check everything with your midwife, but there are a lot of solutions out there. But some people just feel miserable. And the way to kind of focus on that is that there's an end goal. And that end goal is the most magical little thing that will make you happy for the rest of your life. Um, and the fact that you can't control how you're feeling. And the toughest thing is the first three months because it's, you're not allowed to announce it. There's so much danger in those first three months to lose a baby that you can't announce it. And at work, you're feeling terrible and you're going in, you're, you're the rat race, the commute, and you're going in, you're feeling terrible and you're not allowed to tell anyone. That is really tough. Um, and it's annoying that that comes at the first three months when you should be excited about the fact that you, you know, your life's about to change. Um, but that is the same for everyone. You know, no one. I remember people asking me for work and to commit to work in nine months when I knew I couldn't do it, but I couldn't say no because then I would be admitting that I was about to have a baby. So, you know, <laughs> there's a time, those are the times where you get up and you look in the mirror and go, I feel terrible today, but I am making a human being and my body is changing and I'm superwoman um, because self talk does help. I mean, that sounds like an athlete talking there. Yeah, it probably is, yeah. So maybe the, the skills from being an athlete psychologically... Oh, psych massively psychologically. ...really helped you. Yeah. What are yeah. the other ways in which you think it might have helped? <sighs> um, as I said, the, the goal setting, I, especially during labour, um, you know, they tell you how dilated you are and that's a dictation on how long the labour's going to be. So the first time I had about an 18-hour labour and they kept, I kept saying, right, what am I now? I found it really helpful. to. I had this like, kind of like chart in my head. There was a baby at the end and I'm three, I'm four, I'm five. And so I kind of knew the plan that I was going through. Um, but the second time, I actually struggled, even though it was a 45-minute labour. The last update I had was that I was three centimetres dilated and I wasn't even in progressive labour. That was my last update. So for the next, I know it was only 40 minutes, but I really struggled because I knew I was in all this pain and it was horrendous and I was asking for an epidural and they didn't have time to give it to me. But at the back of my mane, I'm only three centimetres dilated. I've got a long journey, long roll, you know, one way ahead to go till this baby comes. And they didn't have time to tell me that I went from three to 10, obviously, like that. Um, but I find that psychologically really difficult. And when they handed Cooper to me, I wasn't ready to be a second time mum yet. I hadn't had this journey of setting my goals and achieving them and ticking, right, I'm three, I'm four, I'm five. Oh, I'm getting there. I know that I'm ready to push. It just went like, whoa this crazy storm, this kind of hurricane I was in and, and then there was a baby and I hadn't got mentally ready that I was about to hold the baby and then I thought, oh my gosh, I could go home tonight and it was all kind of, t I hate it when things are taken out of my control. Um, so I found updates really helpful and, and what I should have done was said to Dougie, please 
keep finding out. I couldn't ask, um, but keep finding out how I'm doing. So I knew that I was almost there. That would have been helpful. I mean, you come across as incredibly mentally tough. Have you always been that way? Because I, one of the things I heard about you was that from the age of 11 or 12, you were going to New Zealand by yourself mm. for every ski season. I mean, I, would, I was obsessive about skiing. And um, yeah, actually I was 10 years old the first time I went down to New Zealand for the summer, for our summer, skiing down there on my own. Um, and I was obsessed with, with being the best that I could be and I loved it. And this was before the internet and I found this program down there and uh, I came home, I saw it was, on the, it was on the wall of my local dry ski slope saying, uh, camp for teenagers in New Zealand. And I came home and said to my mum and dad, um, look, I found this camp for t um, to go to New Zealand. And you're 10 at this I was point. 10, I was 10. And they said, well, we need to find out more information. I said, oh, you don't need to, because I called. So as soon as I got back, I stood on TikTok and called. And I said, listen, I'm not a teenager. I'm not technically old enough to come in your camp, but I will apply myself and I will learn more. Um, and, the, and the coach agreed for me to come, but said, I need to speak to your parents. And I said, yes, of course. So that evening I said to my parents, I'd found this program. And they said, well, we need to talk about this as a family with your brothers if they want to sacrifice their summers to go to New Zealand. And I said, no, 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 I can go alone at 10 years old. And, and I just think I had such a drive and an ambition. And I think because being the youngest of a big family, um, I, I grew up quite quickly um, in that. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's amazing for me to see. I've got nieces, nephews, I coach kids who are 10 and I try and make it all about fun. And then I think actually, when I was that age, I, I wanted to work. What amazing drive yeah. for a 10 year old to have. It's yeah. obviously, you know. I mean, both my parents were athletes. My mum was super supportive. She knew that I was talented and she knew that I loved it. So on paper, a lot of people thought she was really pushy, but she was just helping me to achieve what I wanted to achieve and, and my dreams. And I think I hid behind people saying that she was pushy because it was very unpopular for a 10 year old to be as driven as I was. You know, I went to races going, I want to win this. Whereas everyone else is going, oh, I want to see my friends. I want to go and do this. And I was like, no, 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 I want to win today. And, and that's something that's changed since I was young. It was okay. It was, it was seen as a kind of attractive quality to be that driven, especially as a young girl. And nowadays, boys are allowed to say that. You know, I coach a lot of athletes and boys can come to me and go, I'm going to win. I want to win. And I'm like, yeah, high fives. Whereas a girl who I know, as ambitious as I was, will suppress that when I say, how do you want, to, how do you want to, the outcome of today to be? Because if they come out and say, I want to win, it's, you know, their peers look upon it as, that's so ugly, you being that arrogant. And a girl is arrogant and a boy is confident if they dream to win. And that's something we need to change massively. Do you think it is starting to change? I hope so. I mean, This Girl Can, all of these you know, amazing initiatives that are in place. I helped create one with Alex Dance and the hockey player called Excel, and that was for young girls to believe in themselves through sport um, and kind of see it as a life skills driven activity as opposed to just winning and losing, and that really helped. But I, I don't know how to do it. I almost, I wanted to have a little girl so that I could mould her to, to go out there and say, have the confidence to say that she wanted to win or be the best at something. Um, but I've obviously have two boys. Who are fantastic. Who are fantastic and amazing. Did your mum mind that you were 
pretending she was a pushy mum no as a cover story she was amazing she she took that on the chin she was strong enough and she was driven enough she was a swimmer um a really interesting backstory because she was an incredibly talented swimmer got injured and quit quit quite quickly her first injury and went into modeling and uh, did a degree in politics and women's liberation and all this very you know quite extreme stuff back then so i think that because she gave up on her dreams so quickly, I think she regretted that. We never really talked about it, but I think she regretted that, which is why every time I got injured, she was there to support me back. Or like I said, she was there for me to hide against because she was confident enough to, to take that on the chin. And then actually when she passed away, I went and got surgery on my feet straight away and I was in a wheelchair for five months and I chose that three days after she died because I was like, I've got to take time away from skiing because maybe I did only ski because of her. And it took me like two days to go, no, wait, I ski because I love it. And I came back and I did four days skiing before my first race and I had the best season of my life because everything was in perspective for me. I realized that she had always been there for me the whole time. And it was almost in her memory that I wanted to go out there and charge and be my best. You've been through some really tough times. Oh. Has any of that stayed with you? You know, uh, you uh, stayed with me. Stayed with me in a positive way because I've realised that you know my mum died really suddenly. Uh, I came home after Turin Olympics. I drove home at the end of the season and I had daffodils on my kitchen table and a note from her saying, "I'll see you in the morning." So that we we didn't know she was ill. We had no time to prepare for it. The last time I saw her was in Turin Olympics, getting onto a bus with a fan club hoodie on. Um, and it was a, an amazing emotional experience for me because it was like the, the elite of my sport to be able to share that with my whole family because that was the last time we were met together it was amazing and I think because it was so sudden her leaving um, I, I've really been very driven to to get the most out of every single day and I, and I think I'm a massive pain to live with because I'm like right what can we do today and, and Doug is like, let's go and unwind somewhere. And I'm like, no, no, because we haven't planned. I've got to prep every single day something to do so that I feel like I'm achieving every day because who knows what tomorrow brings. Um, so I think it changed me, but in, in a positive way because she would want me to be... I just read this at 33 years old, you turn into your mum, and massively happened to me. You know, growing up with a mum like mine who was so vivacious, so busy, it was, it was exhausting. You know, we had so much passion in our family. We were either crying or with laughter or crying because it was just too much. And I think that forever, forever I kind of saw her as someone else and someone, oh my gosh, it was amazing what she did, but I'm not her. And then at 33, I sat down and I realized that I, I completely am her. <laughs> Do you feel like you mother in the way that she mothered you? Um, no, I'm softer on the boys. I let them get away with more than she let us get away with. I don't know if because I was the youngest I couldn't get away with anything and she was quite strict but Dougie's stricter than I am and I always thought I'd be a strict parent and then all I want is for the boys to be happy and Lockie's got this dimple and when he starts smiling it just takes over his whole face <laughs> and I can't help just wanting him to smile all day so I, I'm definitely more of a pushover than my mum was. And now you're meeting a lot of other mums because you've got a podcast you've yep, launched. Yep. And tell us a bit about what, what that entails. So, so I started doing a ski podcast when I was pregnant because I wanted to stay involved even though I couldn't work for Ski Sunday. Um, and then um, 
about four days after I, before I was induced, I, I started looking at podcasts on motherhood to, to hear about other people's uh, labour stories, really. I wanted some honest feedback or, or you know, honest storytelling from other mums out there of how it was, and I couldn't find any. I, I just found all this glorification of, oh my gosh, it's amazing, and if you breathe this way, you'll be pain-free. Well, that's an absolute lie. Labour is brutal. Your body, <laughs> it's really sore, it's really painful. Um, obviously, there's an amazing outcome, but the process is really challenging, both physically and mentally. Not for everyone, but for me it was, and for the majority of mums, especially first-time mums, it is. And so I was like, there's nothing out there that I could relate to. So I thought I should set one up. And so I, I did one before I gave birth and then I did one on day six after birth, which is your most emotional day. I was crying all day. And I was like, right, I'm gonna record a podcast today. And you know, I couldn't, I couldn't pee without it stinging. Um, I was crying all the time, I didn't know why. I'd fallen over the night before because I had these horrendous shakes because my iron levels were so low. Um, I actually was so, so sleep deprived that when I was having these shakes and I fell over, I thought I was having a stroke because I just watched a TV show and a guy had a stroke and I was like, oh my gosh. And I couldn't find any honesty out there. So I was like, right, I'm gonna do it. No holds barred. I'm gonna be completely um, honest and get people on who I know are gonna talk about their passions of motherhood, but the negatives and the positives. And, and it's been really, really fun so far. All about the realities then, it yeah. sounds like. And where can people find your podcast? What's it called? It's on SoundCloud and it's called Motherhood Mayhem and Madness. Um, because that's how I mother. There's a lot of madness, um, but it's incredible times. And where can people find out more about you? You've got a website and you're on social media. Yeah, yeah, I'm quite quite um, big on social media. Not big in terms of people following me, but big in terms of how much sure I apply my energy to it. Um, I, I try and be honest over that as well. Um, but I definitely that's something I need to learn because I. Anytime the boys are smiling and laughing, I'll post about it. And if they're having a tantrum, I don't. And I'm like, right, I must. But that's because you don't really get your... F when, when someone's having a tantrum, when you're in a supermarket, you don't get your phone out to film it. I mean, people would judge you for that. But I think that's really important. And that's something that I'm trying to bring to my social media because Yeah, people remember think, you don't care about judgment anymore. I know. People think, oh my gosh, look amazing. Shemi's gone back to work straight away. She's skiing two weeks after labour. She's doing this and this and this. And, and, I, and I showed the positive light. And I've got to learn to show more of the times where you know it's 3 a.m. and I'm exhausted and my legs are hurting because I've done too much that day um, and I'm and I'm learning but I'm making mistakes and learning from them which is <coughs> what I abide and live by brilliant we're up on time this has been so fascinating oh, thank you thank you for having sorry me I talked so much <laughs> this is why I'm here it's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why people want to hear from you good luck with the podcast thank you. Thank you. and um, health hackers remember to hit subscribe if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify or SoundCloud and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.